Welcome into another edition of the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. Just your typical news cycle in the NFL, which is to say insanity all the time. Busy, busy week in the NFL. We've got some running back news. We've actually got quite a bit of running back news. We got a football game. It's Thursday night. It's the first day of the weekend as far as I'm concerned. New York Giants, San Francisco 49ers. We will have a preview of that for you. But first, I think we have to start with one of the stranger news cycles I can remember any time in the last few years. A a strange, strange day at Hallis Hall, the Bears facility in the Chicagoland area. Started benignly enough with Justin Fields addressing reporters on a Wednesday, as quarterbacks often do. Took off from there as Fields seemed to criticize his his coaching, the the information process of, of what he's hearing, what he's looking at, what he needs to do better, talking about being too robotic, not seeing the field well enough. Then, as that created a national storyline, as you might expect, Fields calls an impromptu press conference to clarify his comments, walk him back a little bit. And oh, by the way, as all of this is going on, the Bears announced the resignation of defensive coordinator Alan Williams, who had been absent from the team since the weekend, missing for an undisclosed reason. He did not coach during the Bears' loss to Tampa Bay. Williams cites health concerns and family issues as his reasoning for stepping down. Though at the same time this is happening, a Bears spokesman clarifies some rumors that were circulating that Hallis Hall had been raided by law enforcement. Just a strange, strange day for the Chicago Bears, a situation that we'll keep monitoring as we go. This is clearly a team that is in a little bit of crisis entering week three of the season. Fortunately, I had a chance to sit down with somebody with plenty of bona fides to talk about this stuff, we had our good friend NFL insider Peter Strager on earlier to talk about what was going on with the Bears. Just a, a quick programming note. Peter and I sat down to talk about what was happening in Chicago well before uh, a lot of hell broke loose, particularly with the resignation of Alan Williams. Still a really good conversation to try to shed some light on what is going wrong with Justin Fields with the Bears and where they might go from here. Check it out. All right, welcome into a week three edition of Peter Schrager's Cheat Sheet, presented to you by Honda, joined once again by Fox Sports NFL insider, man of many talents, Peter Schrager. Peter, there is, there's nowhere else we can start this thing than what is going on in Chicago. I want to tell you, I've followed the league for a long time. Usually when this sort of angst is coming out of a building, like the weather is a lot worse, you know? Like this is like a a December sort of thing when the quarterback is calling out the coaching and everybody's looking around over their shoulders, not knowing what the hell's going on. We're getting it in week three, which I, I feel like has to be an all time record for, for the preseason vibes completely falling apart. It's an absolute storm. What's going on right now there. And I guess people that I speak with internally are saying, slow down. It's week three, but you're talking about, Injuries across the offensive line, defensive coordinators currently not with the team um, for personal reasons. And then you've got absolutely a, a complete disappointment from this quarterback that was getting hyped as the MVP candidate over the offseason. They traded the first overall pick away. They got him a number one wide receiver and the offense has been anemic. They've lost two horrible games, one of them at home to Green Bay, where it was as if they didn't show up. And the second one in Tampa, where 
you know, they, they actually, before the season were the favorites for that game. By the time we got to week two, they were the underdogs and they never really um, mounted a comeback in that one. So as bad as it gets, and then Justin Fields gets in front of the, the microphone at the podium today and they're asking him and they ask him, what's the problem? And he goes to listen, the word coaching comes up, which is the last thing you want to hear if you're a PR person from the team, if you're the head coach, Eberflus, and especially if you're the offensive coordinator, which is Luke Getze, who this is year two working with fields, and it looks like they've regressed as an offense. So a really great thing about following the NFL in 2023, I, I think it's a double-edged sword. It can be great. It can be bad. There's There's more content than ever about – what's going wrong in a city like Chicago. You can go find the breakdowns. There's a lot of people doing a really good work about the things that might be wrong with Justin Fields, with what he's seeing. That's what he talked about uh, to the media on Wednesday was, you know, I'm, I'm thinking too much. I'm too robotic. Maybe there's, there's too many coaching points in my head when I go to the line, things like that. You just mentioned at, at the top of this that maybe people in the building are like, whoa, pump the brakes. Like it's, it's not as awful as it seems, but with that amount of noise and that amount of people trying to decipher what might be wrong, is there a point where it like reaches critical mass and public perception just overrides the reality of this thing? Yeah, remember, that's a proud franchise with really engaged fans of major media market and an owner who wants to win. And George McCaskey has spoken time and time again, whether it be this regime or the Nagy regime, like the importance of of getting this thing on the tracks. And I would say if you're doing a power rankings of all the teams in the league right now, the Cardinals have put a better effort than the Bears in, in two games. Yep. The Houston Texans have put a far better effort together than the Bears. C.J. Stroud looks further along than Justin Fields right now, and they've lost 12 straight games going back to last year. There's nothing positive to take from this, this, this start to the Bears season. And, oh, who do they play this week? They play the Kansas City Chiefs in a game that's going to have, you know, not to toot our own horns here, but you got Burkhart, Olsen, Aaron Andrews, that's our top crew. That's a yep. major national game. So you're under the microscope. You're not buried at some one o'clock window with the seventh crew from CBS. Though we sent our A crew to this game, mostly because it's Mahomes. But you also get this storyline of here's Matt Nagy with Mahomes versus the Bears. Oh, you're better off without me. Let's see how that goes. You get Ryan Poles, who came from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's now the GM of the Bears. Oh, uh, let's see how the young protege has, has grown. Well, it might not be so pretty. Uh, this one has... has potential, you know, off wheels falling off the train, uh, whatever the analogy is, train going off the tracks, feel to it. I don't think I'm being in hysterics when I tell you like in that market, 0-3, getting embarrassed on national TV, two out of three weeks and being 0-3, that, that, that's rash decisions can be made after that. So, and that's where I was going to go next. And look, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy calling for jobs in week three. I think that that's a little rich. And like I said, these types of conversations usually wait until the holidays at least. Mm -hmm. But if, if this goes as poorly as it looks like it might, and you made a great point, you know, Braxton Jones is on IR. He might be done for the season. They're talking about moving a rookie Darnell Wright over to the left side. He's had some growing pains on the right side. Like this, this could go south in a big way. Do you get the sense? And, and I'm not talking about firing people, but do you get the sense the bears might try to do something drastic, whether that's bringing in somebody to help, oversee this offense or tweaking the staff or, or anything like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. What, who, what are you going to do? You're going to bring in some, you know, uh, some senior consultant, a Brad Childress type, uh, you know, like uh, Mike Marks is going to come in. 
I've heard the name Greg Roman a few times. I'm Greg just saying. Roman. Okay. I mean, all this stuff is possible to do that on the fly in the, in September or October is tough. It's better when you do that in, in March, April, June, and you start growing it. Like, so you have an off season to build the offense. Getsy, as we know, a former quarterback played at Akron. Um, Getsy comes from the Chicago bears and that's an Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur type offense. And he had such success with with Rogers that when you know Nathaniel Hackett elevates to the head coach at Denver, Getzy quietly gets the OC job in Chicago, pairing him with Eberflus. Two of these guys have have obviously not had a ton of success yet. And the contrast from literally three weeks ago is enormous. There were people putting Justin Fields in the MVP conversation on ESPN all day. And we were talking about the biggest leap. Who's going to make it? Is it Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields in year three? And now we're talking, do they need to hire Greg Roman, who got fired by the Baltimore Ravens, uh, you know, because their offense needed to evolve. Again, I don't want to be the one to fire people either. I don't think that's the move. I don't think Getsy's getting fired. I just think everyone has to look in the mirror at this point. And when this quarterback who is in year three and has already been given the kingdom and the crown and everyone is so excited about him and he's saying the word coaching in a week three press conference on a Wednesday, well, then all alarms go off in my head. And Dave, you and I have covered this game too long not to know that, oh, oh, okay. So if he's comfortable enough to say that, and whether he meant to publicly or not, that, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. We all need to look in the mirror and say, okay, this thing can go real south real quick if it hasn't already. I don't know where it's going, but like I said at the top, I just, I, I can't remember. Look, there's always going to be a team that's disappointing in September, but I can't remember a team that went from maybe these guys will be worst to first to maybe the staff's not going to last until Halloween. Like I've never, I've never seen that happen this quickly in my career. I want to switch gears. This was something we were originally going to talk about before all of this happened. And I promise it wasn't my idea. I'm always worried about looking like the Cowboys Homer guy. I promise this wasn't my idea. But with what this Dallas team looks like through two games, I do think it's worth revisiting. We had a back and forth before the season oh, yeah. started about whether this was a playoff team. And look, I'm not trying to take a victory lap. It is a long, long season. Uh, but I don't think you can get a whole lot of pushback on the idea that the Cowboys are are the most impressive team in the league through two weeks. They've scored the most points in the NFL and they've given up the least points in the NFL. And I came on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network this week and like just, you know, eight days after saying, I'm not sure they're a playoff team. I rose my hand and I'm like, guys, I, I screwed up. I effed up. Like, I can I can I can I have some egg on my face? Because my big fear was Kellen Moore walking out the building. I, it looks like Dak is a different player. It looks like the offense is humming. And these aren't against two patsy defenses. These are good defenses. The Jets are a good defense. The Giants are a solid defense that comes and attacks. Dak looks like he, he's cleaned up his game a little bit. The footwork, Jerry even said it. Like he feels like they're operating at a different level. And, you know, credit to Mike McCarthy. It's just two weeks in. But I think a lot of people rolled their eyes when Kellen Moore walked out that building. And I was first and foremost, I was like, I don't know how this offense gets better without Kellen. Kellen was Dak's guy for so long, but maybe change is good. And Kev and Mike McCarthy's like, look, if, if this is how it's going to be year after year, like let me at least have the, the the responsibility on my shoulders. If it fails, it's on me. I'll ride, I'll ride this thing wherever it goes. And Hey, he gambled on himself. And so far this offense looks fantastic. And the defense looks even better. I can, can, is there a more dominant player? I know. And the TJ Watt army comes out and they like scold me for even saying, I don't know if there's a better player in football right now than Micah Parsons. I, yeah. I mean, you get into dicey territory when you try to 
split especially those, those especially those teams like those fan bases if you go out and you say Micah Parsons is the most dominant player in football 51% of your mentions are going to be telling you you're an idiot because you didn't mention TJ Watt and 49% of your mentions are going to be telling you that you're the smartest person in the world because you're Cowboys. I mean, those are the two loudest, most vocal fan bases, and they just happen to have two of the best defensive players in the sport. All I'll say is I know that like the best edge rushers move all over the place these days, but I just I don't know that I've ever seen an edge edge rusher that gets pressure from as many different places and blows up plays in as many different ways as Micah Parsons does. Like he's coming off the left side, he's coming off the right side, he's doing an overload pressure with Demarcus Lawrence. Next thing you know, he's mugging the A gap and coming right up the middle. Like it's not just that he's dominant, but he's flexible enough that Dan Quinn can put him anywhere he wants to create the best matchup. And it's, it's terrifying. And it's like, which play from Sunday's win over the jets was your favorite. Was it the one where he pressures uh, the quarterback from the inside and goes on the center and sacks Zach Wilson? Or is it the one where he beats off two blockers, strips a running back, then picks up the ball and runs it for a touchdown? Like the stuff he's doing is freakish. And poor Dwayne Brown is a is a is a veteran in the league and makes a lot of money and has a family and everything. And like that was a three-hour just butt kicking session. And I know that Jets locker room and that Jets building. Very well. They have a lot of pride. And I think Micah, Micah embarrassed them on Sunday on national TV with Nance and Romo on the call. This is the surest way to make myself look dumb, but I, I don't know. I don't see the Cowboys. At the very least, they're not losing to Arizona. I don't see them losing to New England in a couple of weeks. I'm already like, I'm San already Francisco. daydreaming, I'm daydreaming about San Francisco. That's October 8th. They, Let's go. The bully they can't beat, the team that's had their number. I can't wait to see it. All right. I want to get you out of here with. Two quick ones just about where we stand after two weeks. Like I said, there, there's always going to be good surprises and bad surprises. I'm not going to make you pick a 2-0 team because a lot of the 2-0 teams are very, very good. But among teams that have been a good surprise, is there one that stands out to you as as one that that you really like their odds to keep this thing rolling? Yeah, look, everyone knew that the Eagles and the 49ers were going to be stars this year. And I think you could see where a Baltimore was going to come out of the, the gates hot. Washington is a fun story. But I look at the Miami Dolphins, two road wins against good teams. They went into Los Angeles and threw for 466 yards. And they go on national TV into New England, totally different type of game. And they grind it out that way. The Dolphins are 2-0, and and I, I preface it with this. with Every time I talk about them, I'm like, if Tua is healthy. Well, Tua is healthy, and Tua looks great. <laughs> and, like, I don't know. They, Brandon Staley's viewed as a defensive mastermind. They put up 466 through the air on him, and then Belichick is considered the greatest defensive coach of all time, and they grinded out a victory on them in their building. So I think Miami's one of those where it's like, you know, everyone was talking about the Jets and the Bills, and maybe the Dolphins are the best team in the AFC East. We we all know the Pats are haven't been the Pats in a few years, but still, like the way that we as a NFL community just kind of like they controlled that game throughout. They were never in danger of losing it, and everybody was just kind of like, "Oh, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do." And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that building's hard up, to win, and yeah, going up to Foxborough for a second straight road game and just bossing the game for the entire time. I thought I thought was an underrated, impressive performance. All right, what about? Again, there's always we're, we're always talking about don't fall into an 0-2 hole, but somebody's always going to do it. Is there an 0-2 team, a team that, you know, everything looks terrible right now, 
I, I'm assuming you're not going to say the Bears, but is there a team where it looks like, you know, you've got some optimism that they can climb out of this? Yeah, look, the Chargers, it doesn't make sense statistically. I went through it, Dave. Um, they're the first team in NFL history to put up 50 or more points in two weeks to start the season and have no turnovers and be 0-2. Uh, they're <laughs> one of only four teams in the history of the sport to put up 750 yards of offense in two weeks and be 0-2. Uh, there's like statistical anomalies up and down in it. And the two the two times they played these games, like they had a chance in the fourth quarter against the dolphins and perfect timing, you know, as always the chargers stump their foot. They can't get out of their own way. They lose on the final drive. He gets sacked by Jalen Phillips. And then last week, Tennessee is a beatable team. You go to overtime, you get the ball first and you go backwards and then you kick it back to them. And then Nick folk comes in and hits a field goal. And they're like the chargers, they play the Vikings. That feels like a loser leaves town match. Like yep. either one of those teams is Owen three to start the season. Like get out of here. I don't want to look at it. Um, Staley is talking to the media. He's chirpy this week. They asked him uh, after they lost to the, the Titans, like, do you think there's a hangover from the Jacksonville game? And like, that was not the question to ask him. He was none too pleased. He kind of bounced back with some fury and some vigor, but it's a fair question to ask. Uh, they, they don't close games. How do you fix that? Well, now you got the new offensive coordinator. You, you drafted another wide receiver in the first round. You got the, all these different players. I, okay. At some point you got to win a big game and Justin Herbert's too good to be on an Owen two team. I just, you know, I feel like the Chargers have been a meme. Like they, they've already been a meme. Like it was six, seven years ago. I think when Philip Rivers was still the quarterback, yeah. they were, they were like first in defense and and offense. And their special teams were so bad that it kept them out of the playoffs. Like I'm just, I want to be, I want to be with you. Like I want to believe in the Chargers. I love Justin Herbert, but my God, can we get it done in the fourth quarter for once in our lives? The meme that I saw that I actually referenced today on the morning show that I'm on was. Uh, there is an article from like the UK and it was like woman who lost her memory ends up falling in love with ex-boyfriend uh, when she regains conscious. And then it was like reposted and it was like me and the chargers every summer, like you, you fall in love with them every summer. And it's like, well, what are we doing? It's the chargers. I know that logo. Like I know that logo. I know what that logo has done in the past. They got to break the cycle. They have to break the cycle. And you thought making the playoffs last year was breaking the cycle. They had a couple big wins and they won against Kansas City in Kansas City. And it was like, okay, they had this great win. Like, and then you're back to square one and you're 0-2 in a hole and your offense is lighting it up. And now your defense, which has stars up and down the roster, suddenly can't stop anything. Uh, you know, it's also one of those things where like there's not a huge Chargers national fan base. I'm not even sure there's a Chargers huge local fan base in LA. So like if that was happening in yeah. another city, it might be World War Three, or it might be one of these deals we're talking about all the time. But it's kind of like, all right, it's the Chargers. And I think that team deserves better than that. Like, I should be outraged. I deserve to be outraged. That team's too good to be owing to. I will be outraged for them if if nobody else is. I, I can't wait for that game. Like, look, the, <laughs> neither the Chargers nor the Vikings, neither one of them has played bad ball. Like, they haven't no. been awful through two weeks. So... The fact that one of them is going to be in a hopeless situation on Sunday afternoon, that is, that's just prime drama right there. I can't wait to see it. Peter Schrager, I look forward to these conversations every Great. week, man. It's a ton of fun. Uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks. Dude, thank you. You're doing a great job with this. Our uh, mutual boss, Jacob Ullman, hit me up on Sunday and said, really liked you and Hellman on, uh, on, on the pod. I'm like, thank you. So people are listening. Let's keep it going.
Your Venmo is on its way for saying that. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Thank you, dude. Elsewhere in the NFL, really busy Wednesday for running backs, specifically teams adding them. As you might expect, the Cleveland Browns got it started early Wednesday, re-signing Kareem Hunt, formerly of the Cleveland Browns. I think this was a foregone conclusion as soon as Nick Chubb unfortunately went down on Monday night against Pittsburgh. Kareem Hunt spent several years with the Cleveland Browns, was primarily Nick Chubb's backup, rushed for 1,800 yards during his four seasons there and was looking for a job as recently as a month ago. So you lose Nick Chubb. It makes perfect sense for the Browns to call up their old running back and say, Hey, we know we weren't really interested in bringing you back in the spring, but things have a way of changing in football. Would you like to come back and get a job? The deal is worth up to $4 million. So a nice opportunity for Kareem hunt. He had visited with the new Orleans saints and the Indianapolis Colts during training camp. So clearly at least some interest for Hunt's services before this happened. I think it makes perfect sense. It's honestly, once you get past the devastation of losing Nick Chubb, I think it's probably a best case scenario. Guy's got 900 career carries with your team. He knows the offense. He's been with head coach Kevin Stefanski for his tenure in Cleveland. You're not going to have to take a long time to get him up to speed. Stefanski did say on Wednesday that, that he still views Jerome Ford as the Browns lead back. If you remember, Ford had a really nice night after Chubb went down on Monday. At the very least, Hunt gives them some very needed depth after Chubb's injury. But again, this, this is a guy who's done a lot in the NFL. 1,800 yards as a Cleveland Brown. We'll see how the workload gets divvied up. I am curious to see how well this works. Kareem Hunt is, I believe, entering year seven in the NFL. 2017 was his first year. So yeah, I mean, I think I can do math well enough to say that clearly the Browns don't want, didn't want to bring him back for a reason, not to say he's completely washed, but it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think you can underrate just how much Nick Chubb does for an offense. He's kind of like a bumper in bowling. Like if you're terrible at bowling, you pull that thing out to cover the gutter. So even if you have no idea what you're doing, Things aren't going to go completely off the rails. That's how I view Nick Chubb. Yards after contact, making something out of nothing, finishing forward all the time. No offense to Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt, but I don't know that they replicate that quite as well as what we've gotten used to from Nick Chubb, especially keep in mind that Jack Conklin, the Browns' fantastic right tackle, is out for the year, so your offensive line is compromised already. Like I said, I I do think this is a best case scenario considering the injury. I'm just not sure how pretty it's going to look. And you keep in mind um, what we've seen from Deshaun Watson through two weeks of the season. You're going to need to get into favorable situations. You're going to need your running game to keep him ahead of the chains as often as possible. Not trying to write the Browns offense off in week three, but I also don't think we should underrate what a big blow it is to lose Nick Chubb. So we will keep an eye on what that looks like in Cleveland with Kareem Hunt back in the fold. Thought that was going to be the the big, the only big acquisition of the day. And then toward the tail end of Wednesday, the Vikings acquire Cam Akers in a trade with the Los Angeles Rams. About as unsurprising a trade as I can remember in the last couple of years, at least, just because it makes so much sense on both sides. 
The Vikings are one of the least successful rushing teams in the league right now. They rank dead last in rushing EPA. They're averaging just 2.7 yards per attempt when they do run, attempt when they do run the ball. I don't think they've had a 50-yard rushing day as a team in either of their two games this season, which always felt a little weird. No offense to Alexander Madison, but it always felt strange that the Vikings didn't do more to address their decision to cut Dalvin Cook. Even even if you're in favor of that decision because of how good Dalvin or how big Dalvin Cook's contract was, it just never felt like they had the juice that they thought they did. And lo and behold, two weeks into the season, they say, yeah, we need somebody else. Cam Akers, if you've been following it on the Ram side of things, the writing has been on the wall that his future was not in LA for at least a year. They almost traded him at the deadline last year. They couldn't find any suitable offers. In fact, this, this trade, in addition to, to Cam Akers, the Vikings and Rams are swapping small picks in 2026. So you talk about suitable offers. I think it tells you what the market was for a guy like Cam Akers, that the picks being exchanged won't even be useful for two more years. So just a very minor deal. The Rams get rid of a guy that they clearly don't see in their plans. The Vikings add a guy that can maybe bolster their running back group. Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell was the Rams offensive coordinator for two years, so he knows Cam Akers. His offense is is very, very similar to what the Rams do, so it shouldn't be too big of a learning curve for Akers. And again, for whatever reason, things soured between the Rams and Cam Akers. He was a surprise inactive last week against the San Francisco 49ers. And then if that wasn't weird enough, he got on Twitter and said, I'm just as weirded out and surprised as all y'all. I don't know what's going on, but I'm blessed. So when the running back is openly questioning decisions not to make an app, make him active for a game, you can go ahead and assume that the trade is coming at some point Uh, for the Rams. It it looks like it'll be the Kyron Williams show from here on out. The second year guy had a, a really nice game against the 49ers. He did have a pass kind of, clank off his hands and and go to it lead to an interception for San Francisco but overall I thought a really nice performance just trying to be a nerd here trying to use my draft dork powers for good I am curious if this means we'll see the Rams give a shot to rookie running back Zach Evans day three pick out of Ole Miss a guy that I liked a lot a guy that's got some serious juice or did in college. Anyway, he's been inactive so far this season, but with one fewer running back on the roster, I wonder if this leads to him getting more opportunities. Maybe not, but something to watch. I think not a league changing trade, but something that that is beneficial for two teams. Obviously Rams coach, Sean McVay, Vikings coach, Kevin O'Connell have history. No problem getting this thing done. And just like that, as much as out of work running backs have been a topic in the NFL this summer, for the most part, they're all gone. Like we've been talking about an acres trade for a year. It's done. We've been talking about Kareem hunt for months. He's gone. Zeke Elliott signed during the summer. I guess we're keeping an eye on Jonathan Taylor, but he's on the physically unable to perform list and he's not going to be useful for two more weeks. So who knows if the Colts try to move him again, Literally, the last guy left, Dalvin Cook is in New York. I knew I was forgetting somebody. The last guy left is Leonard Fournette, my LSU bro. I mean, I guess if you need a running back, keep his number on speed dial. He's just about the only one with a substantial resume that doesn't have a job. And not to doubt my fellow Tiger, but 
as a running back gets older. Another guy that was drafted in 2017, who knows how much gas is left in that tank. We'll see how long Leonard Fournette stays available, stays on the market, but a really busy day at the running back position. All right. With all that out of the way, we do have a football game to preview tonight. The New York Giants one and one after a miracle win surviving Arizona by the skin of their teeth on Sunday. Like I said earlier in the week, they stayed out here on the West Coast. They stayed in Arizona to get ready for a Thursday night trip to Santa Clara, California, the Bay Area and the mighty 2-0 49ers. Niners looking about as good as any team in the league, averaging 30 points a game, mauling people on the defensive side of the ball, but somehow maybe even have another level that they can get to. I sat down with Fox Sports' own, my good friend, NFC West writer Eric Williams to preview the matchup. All right, Eric. Giants Niners, New York Giants traveling up to Santa Clara, California for Thursday night football against San Francisco Niners opening the home schedule on a Thursday night. That's interesting, but it's uh, it's all bad news. It looks like for the New York Giants, you know, despite Brian Dable's best efforts, Saquon Barkley ruled out for this game. Andrew Thomas, the 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 very promising young left tackle also ruled out. Uh, and then you've got left guard Ben Bredesen also ruled out for this game as if dealing with the 49ers defense wasn't tough enough. That's a heck of a <laughs> lot of losses. How do you see specifically the matchup against Nick Bosa and this Niners pass rush going yeah. when we know how shorthanded this Giants offense looks right now? Yeah, no doubt it's going to be an uphill climb for the Giants. I think one of the things that can give them a little bit of confidence is their offense finally started get uh, get going in the second half against the Cardinals. You know, they were outscored 60 to nothing through the first six quarters of the season, but they're able to come back and, and beat Arizona um, and, you know, 31 to 28. Um, in that, those last uh, two quarters, you know, Daniel Jones kind of put the team on his back and, and, and got them roll, you know, both with his, his arm and his feet. Um, obviously without Barkley, Jones is going to have to do the more of the same. And against any talented pass rusher, one of the ways to slow him down is to run the football at him. And I would suspect that the Giants are going to try to do some kind of ball control attack, you know, lean on the running game a little bit, maybe lean on Daniel Jones' feet to get him running the football uh, in order to kind of control tempo and, and keep the ball away from that explosive San Francisco offense. One thing, though, I think they need to watch out for is they don't want to run too many design runs because certainly – Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw are going to want to get their hits on Daniel Jones. So they kind of have to watch how much they use Jones in the running game, in my opinion. I mentioned Bosa at the top. He's obviously, you know, he's the defensive player of the year. I get why you mentioned him first. But I'm curious, a couple other pieces of this San Francisco D-line. It seems like they've got a new contributor every single year. Javon Hargrave certainly looks like he's off to a fantastic start coming over from Philadelphia. And another guy I wanted to touch on real quick, Drake Jackson, uh, the second-year defensive end out of USC. It's already up to three sacks on the season. I'm curious what you've seen from those guys in particular. And, and again, like I said, it looks like another really, really strong pass rush in San Francisco. Yeah, let's talk about Drake a little bit first. I think, uh, you know, with Sanson Epicam moving on and, and joining the Colts, there was some question on who was going to be the other guy off the edge opposite Bosa. You know, Drake had a little bit of a disappointing rookie season, just three sacks total, didn't make much of an impact. But 
first game, three sacks. He, he gained a, a lot more weight in the offseason, about 20 pounds. So he's able to be a little bit physical, physical at the point, uh, a little more explosive. I think you saw that through the first couple of weeks. And so having that guy opposite Bosa certainly going to help. And then Hargrave, um, we're certainly seeing his impact in the first six weeks. Just one sack, but uh, leads all defensive tackles with, with 13 pressures. And so if you're able to get that push up the middle, it's going to be easier for those guys to come off the edge. And then you throw in Eric Armstead there as well. Certainly one of the more dominant defensive fronts in the league. You know, maybe the most dominant, certainly the Eagles are in that conversation along with the Cowboys. Over on the Niners offense side of the ball, phenomenal start to the season for Brandon Ayuk. Looked like it was going to be more of the same in week two. Then he gets hurt. He's officially listed as questionable for this game. A, do, do you expect him to line up against the Giants? And B, look, I mean, we know the Niners offense doesn't lack for stars, but if he isn't available or if he is limited, who do you think they turn to in this game? It was Debo Samuel last week. Is it more of that? Is it somebody else this time around? I think any player the caliber of Ayuk is going to want to play if they feel like they're physically ready. I think the, uh, the coaches will kind of check him pregame and see where he's at. I think it's a possibility he plays on Thursday. If he doesn't, though, they have so many other guys that can go out there and make plays. I feel like with the Niners, you know, they kind of always talk about Bill Ch- Belichick making teams play left-handed. With the Niners, they can go either direction. You know, they're ambidextrous. Uh, you know, they can they can be play like if you're going to you know use the basketball analogy, they can play like AI and, and, and drive to the lane, get that get there that way. They can shoot threes like Steph Curry. They can dream shake you down low. Um, they can get at you in so many different ways. I mean, if Kyle Shanahan's playing one on one. He probably tells the opposing defense, how do you want to lose today? And so when you have an offense that potent, you know, maybe it's best to just sit Brandon Ayuk down and make sure he's fully healthy because you have other guys that can contribute. George Kittle has just six catches through two games. You know, he hasn't really got involved in the offense. And he was really um, Purdy's primary uh, uh, guy that he looked for last season. And, you know, maybe this is a game where you get Kittle going in the offense. Speaking of Brock Purdy, I've said a few times on this show, I feel a little silly for doubting the guy. I mean, it's easy to forget already all of the questions about his health and how is he going to look coming off the injury? He's still such a young player. Well, the early results, incredibly favorable. Niners are running the ball as well as anybody in the league, maybe best in the league with Christian McCaffrey. And and maybe, you know, even if, if the passing offense isn't the most explosive in the NFL, it's doing more than enough I am curious, though. I mean, I guess in your estimation with what you know about this team, is this what we should expect from Brock Purdy moving forward? Or do you think that somehow there's even more that the Niners can unlock on offense? Maybe if if Brock Purdy can get going even a little bit more. No, I think there's another level that he can reach, Dave. And I think you saw it last week against the Rams. You know, he missed on on three deep throws that that could have made that game more of a blowout than the close game that it was if he was able to hit on those throws. Uh, you know, obviously he's coming off the elbow surgery, significant surgery. Um, his, his arm strength for the most part is, is, is back. I saw him both in training camp and, and, and in live game action and, and the strength is there, but I think with the deep passes, that's, that's more of a rep issue. And, and, and he didn't have a lot of reps because they wanted to limit his pitch count and make sure that he was fully healthy getting into the regular season. But really I think, 
you know, Brock Powers, or excuse me, Brock Purdy has two superpowers when you consider what he does on the field. Um, he doesn't miss in the gimmies. I think he's he's natural, accurate passer, and that's important in Kyle Shanahan's offense to keep the chains moving. And then I think he processes really quickly. And because of that, he, he throws with great anticipation and he gets the ball to receivers in places where when once they catch it, they can they can make plays after the catch. And obviously that's big in, in Shanahan's system, the run after catch. Um, so he's efficient. I think that's one word if you want to describe Purdy that you kind of fall back on. But I do feel like you can unlock some of those explosive plays uh, the more reps he gets in the system. It's a terrifying thought to think that what we've seen from these guys in the first two weeks could only be scratching the surface if Purdy continues to improve. Speaking of which, and and maybe this isn't a concern for the guys in the locker room, but those of us that follow this, those of us that break it down, this feels like a big opportunity to make a statement for the 49ers. You know, you look at last week and you say, oh, I mean, they, they handled the Rams comfortably, but uh, you look across the way in the NFC East and the, the Dallas Cowboys are demolishing everybody they play. They beat this Giants team 40 to nothing. I understand that style points don't matter in the NFL, uh, but would you agree with me that in a showcase game like this, this, this feels like an opportunity for the Niners to kind of open some eyes? No doubt. I think uh, when, you, when you talk to players, they're certainly thinking about it. They know that Dallas put 40 on the Giants, so why not try to go out there and put 50 on the same team that Dallas put 40 on to kind of show that, hey, you're ready for that matchup. It's, you know, they play the, the Cowboys in two weeks. They beat them the last two times in the postseason. It looks like these two teams are kind of on a collision course, you know, with the Eagles kind of right in there in terms of what's going to happen deep in the postseason in the NFC. Uh, the Niners have three home games. You know, it starts with the Giants, and then they host the Cardinals, and then they get the Cowboys. Um, so no doubt I think they'd want to make a statement in a primetime game. They really haven't played their best game in the first two weeks, even though they, they have averaged 30 points in each of those two contests. So I think they're due to kind of, you know, have one of those outstanding offensive performances. I think I can guess where this is going based on what we've been talking about, but I like to see what people think on this show. So heading into Thursday night football, Eric, who you got Niners giants. Yeah. Hard not to go with uh, the, the 49ers here. You know, the giants are banged up. They're missing perhaps their best offensive player in Barkley, their left tackle. Uh, you just wonder how they're going to score points against, you know, one of the best defenses in the league. And again, I, I think, you know, Shanahan in a primetime game wants to make a statement that, you know, his team is the team to beat when you, when you talk about Super Bowl conversation. So uh, I like the Niners big in this one. I would love to disagree. I, I would love a great game. But look, we saw this Giants team go against the Cowboys pass rush. The Niners pass rush, according to pro football focus, actually has a slightly better grade on the season. Mm -hmm. And the Giants are down now down two starters. I just I don't see how you find any consistency in that sort of situation. I'm with you. I, I see the Niners winning this by, I don't know, 14, 17 at least should be. I think fairly easy for him. We'll see how it goes. Eric, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Before we get out of here, this is a conversation we have every week among our production staff off the air. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, we just decided why not take it to the air? It's, it's become more and more popular as the years have gone on the survivor pool 
for NFL football. Every week you pick a team. You need that team to win to advance. You can only use each team one time. You know how this goes. Every week we get into these debates about which game makes the most sense, which game is safe, which game can is the most obvious one, is the sneakiest one. And I just figured, yeah, let's let's talk about it. I think this is something that enough NFL fans do every week that it's fun to consider. And so from here on out, let's take a look at the matchups and decide, hey, which games are worth staking your pool on? Now, I don't know who you at home have already taken. We're two weeks into the season, but that's a small pool of teams. So I figure this is a fun way to kind of preview A, what to expect, and B, I don't know, maybe help you take home a prize in your office pool or have bragging rights over your brother or your mom or your dad. I don't know. Figured it'd be fun. So let's take a look at this week's slate. And as much as I like to get fun with Survivor, for instance, a few of us here on the show took the New York Giants to beat the Arizona Cardinals last week. If you can get away with a sneaky team, go for it. It was a terrifying experience. It barely worked out, but it did cash. I love thinking about stuff like that. So I'll start there. My number one strategy for playing these types of pools, just find out who the worst team is and pick the team that's playing them. Doesn't matter how lopsided it is. Doesn't matter you know, what the particulars are. There are every year, there's like three teams that you can generally count on not to let you down. I know they've been feisty through the first two weeks, but I think the Cardinals are a good bet to be that team this year. I think there's only going to be two or three games this season where you shouldn't feel confident that you can get a win. The Cardinals host the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. Self-explanatory. Don't care what the spread is. Don't care who's hurt and who's not hurt like circle that one in red. Same thing goes for the other team. You know, we, we based on how the show started, look at who the Chicago bears are playing at least until they get some of their issues figured out and pick that team. What better week to do that than a trip to play the Kansas city chiefs. I don't need to spend too much time on that. I can hear you saying, Dave, don't be an idiot. You can't pick the chiefs and the Cowboys every week for that matter. Honestly, If you're looking for the most slam dunk pick of them all, I really think it's the game we just previewed. Like I would pick the 49ers this week in Survivor and not think twice about it. But if you're looking for, oh, you're saying, Dave, I I didn't come here for basic advice. Yeah, okay, cool. Niners, Cowboys, Chiefs. Everybody knows that. I got one for you. If you're willing to be bold with me and and dance with the devil a little bit, I wanted to take a chance, uh, an opportunity to pick this one out. And honestly, this week's slate of games, a lot of big lines. Like just reading down the list of lines, it's either a toss-up or a huge spread. You got 10 on Thursday night. You got spreads of six and a half Miami over Denver, six and a half Bills over Commanders, nine and a half for the Jags. So there's not a lot of sneaky picks. 12-point spread for the Cowboys over the Cardinals. Like I said, circle that one. Do it. Don't worry about using the Cowboys too early. Just pick them. But if you, if you refuse, if you absolutely want to get cute this week, I dare you to pick the Seattle Seahawks to beat the Carolina Panthers. Now, I know I can hear you saying the Seahawks probably eliminated quite a few of you from this type of pool already this season. They lost by 17 at home to the LA Rams. But didn't, didn't you see what you wanted to see from the Seahawks in that game against the Lions last week? Didn't you see... A, they figured out how to deal with the problems on their offensive line. 
B, Geno Smith and his passing options got back to being who they're supposed to be. And who do they welcome up to Seattle? The Carolina Panthers, who just, unfortunately for Bryce Young, just look like a team that's not ready. Like, there's a lot of names on that team that sound good. Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Sounds great on paper. Not seeing it in the passing game. You're not seeing any sort of separation or any sort of juice. Bryce Young is throwing into the tightest windows in the NFL right now, meaning his receivers are not getting open. The Panthers offensive line, Iki Aquanu, the left tackle, promising young player, but the offensive line just has not showed up the way the Panthers were probably hoping for. Yes, the defense is solid. The defense has given two teams fits to this point in the season, Atlanta and New Orleans. But I trust Geno Smith. I trust those guys to not let what happened in week one happen again. If you're hell bent on not using a heavyweight in survivor this week, I think the Seattle Seahawks are your best bet. I think the Panthers are going to struggle to score more than 14, 17 points all season long. Not Bryce Young's fault, but that's what happens when you go to a team that is willing to trade up to number one to draft quarterback. So that's my call. Please, if I, if it's wrong, I want to hear about it. If it's right, please go ahead and say, let me know. Dave, you're so smart. I, I'm used to being told I'm stupid. So if this doesn't work out for me, it'll be fine. That's my call. Enjoy the Thursday night football. It's going to be great. And Friday, we've got a full slate for you. We've got previews on all the big games. We're going to talk to Greg Olson. It's going to be a ton of fun. I can't wait. We'll see y'all next time. I appreciate it.